you hear us when you call. Oh, he hears us when we succeed. You are the only way that we are going to go forward. You are the only way that we are going to surmount the obstacles. Father, you have a great life for us. And Father, you hear us when we call. And Lord, it is your desire to give good gifts to your children. It is your desire to bless us with your Holy Spirit. It is your desire for us to live an abundant life. To Father God, to know that your plans for us are good. That you want us to prosper. You want us to have a hope and a future. That Jesus, you died to take away our guilt and shame. So that we could be here today and know that Father, you hear us when we call. You are here by your Holy Spirit. And Father, you have promises for us. You have promises for each of us as individuals. And we are believing for those promises this morning. As we think about those promises, those ones that are personal to us, that you have brought over and over again into our life. And Father, we say yes this morning. Yes, we trust that Father God, these promises are true. And that you will, Father God, manifest these promises in our life. Hallelujah, Lord. You hear us when we call, Father. And Lord, you know us by name. You know us by name, O oh God. We are just, we are not just one of the masses who are coming to church in every church in the world today. You know every individual. You knew us before we were born. Father, the scripture tells us that before we were even born, every deed and action was written in your book. You knew every action, every thought, every word, everything that would happen to us before it ever happened. Lord, Father, we are safe in your hands today. Father, I speak abundance over your people today. Abundance and riches, Father God, in the knowledge of you, 
richest in the knowledge of you, richest in strength, richest in perseverance, richest in hope and faith and joy, Father God, richest in peace, Father God. Oh, Lord, I just feel it today. I just feel you doing it today. Oh, Father, you are here. You are here, Jesus. You are here, Jesus. Oh, Father, your peace, joy. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, Father, we honor your presence, Jesus. We honor your presence. Today is a day of renewing. Today is a day of restarts. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. We honor you, Father. We honor you, Jesus. Hallelujah. up and down between the chairs. Your Holy Spirit is whispering by, Father God. Angels, we welcome you here this morning. Is there anything too great for our God? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Sovereign and Almighty God, Take your rightful place at the front of this church. Sit in your throne, Jesus, at the front of this church. This is your church, Jesus. today to meet with you, Lord. Oh, Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Your presence. We always ask that if you have a picture, a scripture, a thought, 
Bible calls it an interpretation of what that was. Just come to the microphone. Come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, when he, he was saying to, I think his arms felt like that, what he's offering is his Holy Spirit, his word, his presence, his strength, his truth. These are the things that cause us to overcome. Sometimes it's hard to understand what it means with his, <coughs> his arms open, what do we do? But that's what it is. He's, he's offering all of himself to you. And in both those situations, it was an invitation to come. Come to him. He would give his only son to make a wretched present. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. 
Yeah, the I love that fact that Christ, uh, you say, the open arms, right? Who's the body of Christ on the earth? The church, right? That that open coming to community. And but the hope that God walks with you. That is a powerful truth. When you really get that, um, I go in and out of it, as I think most people do, especially when you're in very difficult times. You go in and out of trusting that or knowing that. But when you really have that, it, it, is, it is a powerful force. You want to go to the, just so that we have it on the record. Pick up the, the mic, sorry. This song has been shaping me in and out of my life. Jesus, his name let us call. Air passes strong. Bring to all our feelings flame. Lord, speak out as Moses. Thank you, Corister. In the cross, in the cross, see my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Over the cross of trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning sky says, this is where you be. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring us seat before thee. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. Near the cross, I'll walk and wait, hoping, trusting ever. Till I reach the golden strand. was my devotion this morning. Lord, may your spirit of love reign in the words I speak so that I don't miscommunicate or wound another. Help me to show respect. Speak words that encourage. Share my feelings openly and come to mutual agreement without strife. Mm. That's good advice. May that be what happens. So there's definitely <coughs> a sense of invitation this morning. Um, and that's, and you know what? It doesn't matter how long we've walked with God and walked with Christ and had the Holy Spirit with us, but there's always that need to continually invite God in because God is always going to deeper places within us. He's always doing some new thing to bring us into the image of Christ. So there's always a need for us to be willing to invite. Um, and we all know that there's times in our life, you may have gone through it or you know people who have, who just are not willing to invite or allow truth to come into their life. And it's, uh, it's sometimes it's really frustrating. Um, but, but God knows the time. He knows and he works with us and he's massaging us through life. Sometimes, you ever been to get a massage? You ever get one that really hurts? <laughs> and you know, especially when they find those little, whatever those little knots are, because your body will hold stress. It'll hold it. It'll physically hold it and it will form little knots in your muscles and they're like they, they wind it and push it and break it out. 
And I remember I had one of those, uh, and she said, you might feel like you have the flu the next day. And I went, oh, whatever. The next day, because all of the toxins of that you're holding in those places of stress and worry and anger, whatever they are, get that worked out. Boy, it, 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 it can leave a residue in you. But I think God is working on us to get those, those knots out of our life. And, um, and sometimes it hurts. <laughs> but it's a good thing that he's doing. It's always a good thing. So there's an invitation being, being spoken about. And last week, we did a survey and a congregational self-perception survey. And I think there's a, a slide there, Jeremy. This is the result. There were 33 people responded. And what the for those who weren't here last week, what the question was, give three words that you most often hear in your head when you are thinking about yourself, when you are making a description of who you are what are the words that come to you most often? And 33 people responded. 47 had negative descriptions. I read some of them out last week, and it was, it was daunting. 34 positive descriptions, which is wonderful. So, you, you know, it's not, a, it's not a, a really lopsided situation, but it is where most people are walking with negative opinions of themselves. And the negative, the number one most often said was not good enough and then sinful disappointment and ugly. And then uh, failure was the third most mentioned negative uh, self-perception that people have. And I don't think these are uncommon. They're I think we, um, we're in a church and we think, well, people shouldn't think like that. But I would rather have them thinking that here than out there with no help. When all you have is, is you know, whatever you find out there to help mitigate these thoughts and these perceptions. And on the positive, the most often said was kind, forgiving, generous, interesting, loving, cheerful, unique, and teachable was the third most. And those are wonderful things. And sometimes you get those positive things. Sometimes you're just born. You ever meet somebody who's just positive by nature? It's like, oh what a, that's amazing. Like, they are just hopeful and they're positive. I met my, uh, what would have been, I guess, my nephew by marriage the other day. And, and he is the most happy, positive person you've ever, uh, like, and I, <laughs> I walked away and I said, boy, I'd like to have half his serotonin. Like, just give me some of that. Uh, but he's naturally that way. He's been that way for the years that I've known him. Um, so sometimes you're born with it. Sometimes you learn it. And I think that's where God wants us to go. That's where he's taking us. That's what he's inviting us to this morning. That this place of learning how to be kind and learning how to be forgiving both of other people and ourselves. To be generous. 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 I, I can't park here because I'll preach, but generous with yourself. We have to be generous with ourselves first in the sense of how we see ourselves, how we perceive ourselves, how we treat ourselves. We have to be kind and generous to ourselves. If we don't, it really won't happen too much with other people. Or it will be done with regret or a spite or a bitterness in there. It's down in there. I've heard so many talks about that. 
But this is where God wants us to, to go, to be loving and cheerful. I think God wants us to be cheerful. I don't think he wants us to be cheerful in, in situations that require soberness. But to be cheerful, unique, and teachable. We are unique by the way we're made. And when I was thinking about this, and we're going to deal with this at the end of the service, we're going to do another little exercise. But I want to talk about somebody in the Bible, in the New Testament, who totally encompasses everything that's certainly in the negative and a whole lot more. And it's the woman who had the issue of blood. Mark 5, 25 to 34, and I'll just read this. So a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years. Okay, let's swallow that first. 12 years. With constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus, right? So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? This, this disciple's being cheeky with, with Jesus, right? What do you mean, who touched you? Look at all the people. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I don't know where you're at in life, but boy, it would be nice to hear those words that your suffering is over. One day we're going to hear it, but it'd be nice to hear it on this side like she did, right? I don't know what to tell you, Jesus, but I'd really like to hear that right here, right now. I'd like to hear some, your suffering is over. The woman would have been seen as unclean, and here's what that would have meant for her. In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, the, the book of Leviticus is all the laws and the Mosaic laws that were uh, there for the Israelites to follow. Verse 15, 25 to 27, If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. This woman was unclean for 12 years. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, which means nobody else can use it, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. That's if anyone was near her or touched her. As far like, and we're going to look at this. I mean, this woman encompassed every possible form of human suffering for 12 years. She really did. She's the whole dump truck load at once. She was anemic. She had this, this consistent loss of blood in her life, which is physical suffering. 
she would, I was talking to Erica about it, and she would have been weak, she would have been tired, she would have been exhausted, short of breath, her thinking would have been dulled and impaired, she would have been pale, her hair would have been very thin because she's losing all this blood. And they didn't have all of the supplements and everything we have today. It would have been a huge effort for her to care for herself because she would have had to care for herself because nobody could be around her. And they took that very seriously back then. Someone would have had, she would have had to get her own water. She would have had to get her own food and, and cook it herself. She would have had to do everything while being anemic, while being, you know, unclean and an outcast. She was financially destitute. She had spent everything she had, so we know she was poor. The scripture tells us that she is destitute. And again, in those days, it was not good to be destitute. They didn't have social assistance back then. And of course, her family couldn't be around her, depending on whether or not they would take the risk. But nonetheless, we know that she was poor, so she had that on top of everything else. And then she was a social outcast. And if you know anything about being a social outcast and being alone, it causes mental struggle. It's actually used as a method of torture, solitary confinement. It's used as torture. It actually tortures a human being to be forced into solitude. We are, by our nature and design, we are a congregational people. God made us to live in groups, in families, in villages, in, in extended families. He designed us that way. When that is taken away from you, you're going to have some very serious mental health issues. Eventually, you're going to. She was unable to be with her family. She was unable to be in the synagogue. She was unable to touch anything or anyone. Like, just get your head around that. This woman was living a horrible, horrible life for 12 years. I was at uh, No Frills out in Spryfield. Um, getting groceries, and this was, uh, you know, last year in the height of the pandemic, and a woman came in, and uh, she was walking around, I saw her, and she didn't have a mask on, and these two people, a husband and wife team, started into her, I mean from a distance, hollering at her, you could hear it all over the store, what are you doing in here? You should get a mask on, you're threatening my husband, and she was, and, and the woman was just like, she said, I, she said, I have a medical condition. I don't know what that would have been, that she couldn't wear the mask. And when I thought of this woman here, I thought of that, because that's what people would have done to her when she was walking around trying to get her food, trying to get, because they would have known. Everybody would have known. And she wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue, which means she was, she was robbed of any kind of spiritual support. And the Pharisees and all the teachers wouldn't go near her, because if they did, they'd be unclean. This woman was in a very, very hard place. So it, it wouldn't be a, a, a big stretch for us to think that this woman was looking at her life and saying, I'm a failure. I'm sinful. Because back then, and even today, being sick can be seen as a judgment. How often do you, first thing when something bad happens to you, do you go and think, did I do something wrong? It's the first thought. I'm getting paid back for something. Or when you're going through a tough time, you go and look at your life and every dirty, rotten, stinking thing you've ever done in your life will come back into your mind and that will be the reason 
that I'm not getting the job, I'm not getting healed, I'm not getting whatever, whatever. As a Christian, we can't go there because apparently Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. So that those things are done and paid for. And both the ones that we did with before we knew Christ and the ones that we did as we walked, stumbling our way towards glory and towards Christ over our life, that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to sin, we're going to do those things. So, but it very often happens that when hard times come, we just think, well, obviously I deserve this because I said this to somebody or I thought that to somebody. So it wouldn't be a far stretch for us to think that she was also in the same state of mind, thinking I must be sinful because certainly everybody around her was telling her that. Because remember when they came upon the, uh, the cripple and they said, the disciples asked Jesus, did this happen to them because of their sin or their parents' sin? And Jesus said it never had anything to do with any of that. said this happened so that the glory of God could be shown in their life. Boy, there's one that people don't like. They'll fight you all the way to the bank about that one. But nonetheless, she would have thought she was a mistake. She would have thought that she was certainly a disappointment to her family. Because her family would have thought, oh my heavens, my daughter, and what did she do? And looking, she's unclean and sinful and God's judging her and that all that would have come. She would have thought she was ugly and an outcast and hopeless. Hopeless. Twelve years of that. But then she heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. And what did she hear about Jesus? Maybe she heard this. From Mark 6, 56. Wherever he went, meaning Jesus, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. That's what she heard. She said, what? You touch that man's hem of his garment, and I'm going to be healed? And, and for some reason, she said, I'm going to do that. Now, the difficult thing about that is that she's not allowed to pro approach anybody. She's not allowed, certainly, to approach Jesus. That would be unthinkable. Yeah, the courage it took for her to actually get up and say, okay, I'm going to do this. Because Jesus would have been made unclean by her touching him. Hence her fear and trembling. That's what the fear was about. Uh-oh, I got caught. All right? But Jesus did something very unique here. He asked, who touched me? I mean, doesn't Jesus know everything? Actually, he doesn't know everything. Because he said in Matthew 24, he said, I don't know the day or the hour that the Son of Man will return. Only the Father knows. Some things are kept. And maybe it was kept from him for a reason. But he called her out. Right? He called her out. This woman took that incredible step of courage to go in the midst of all those people. And she there's a whole throng of them around, so she had to push her way through to get to Jesus. And sometimes you and I have to push our way through to get in and touch Jesus. Sometimes you have to push. There's all kinds of obstructions. The world, our flesh, and the enemy will put all kinds of things in our way to stop us from getting through to touch Jesus. 
And sometimes you have to take the promises and sometimes you have to take what you know is true and just keep pushing and just keep pushing. And everything's coming against you saying it's never going to happen and you don't deserve it and look at what's happened in your life. It's too late for you. All those things will come. And these are, to me, the metaphor of all these people that were around Jesus getting in the way from her getting in and being able to touch him. But she did it. And uh, a tremendous amount of courage, a, tr a tremendous willingness to be exposed. Even though it scared her to death once he actually did call her out. And there's something about coming to Jesus that there has to be a vulnerability. There has to be a willingness. If we want to get healed, if we want to get things fixed in our life, we have to, I put it on the sign out there, nothing will be healed that is not that we are not willing to admit. And there's, there's got to be in us a willingness to face stuff when Jesus comes in and starts working on us and speaking to us and being willing to confess and being willing to say, yes, that is me and thank you, Jesus, because all Jesus wants to do is heal you. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't want to embarrass you. And that's all he wanted to do with this woman was to draw her out because I think I'm just supposing, but I'm a thinking he wanted to do something very important for this woman. He wanted her to be seen by him. Remember that the rich young ruler that he came to Jesus and uh, Jesus asked him to give all away his money and he, he didn't want to do that and he went away. But in, in the text, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I often wonder about that, like that story was sent down through the years and they wrote it down. What was it about Jesus' face that caused the writer of that to say he looked at him and he loved him? There was something about Jesus' face. There was something in his eyes. There was something in the way he looked at this man that it made the writer say he looked at him and he loved him and I think he did the same thing with this woman he looked at her and he loved her and she needed to be seen by him remember Hagar 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 boy she got the bad end of that stick God says to Abraham in the Old Testament he says child you're going to have a baby and that baby is going to be the promised savior that I told Adam and Eve about. And he is going to be the line through which that savior is going to come. He's not going to be the savior, he's going to be the line. And that child's going to be born to you within a year. Well, as you know the story, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was what, 89? And Abraham was 100 or something? I don't know about you, but the last I checked, there's not too many people having children at that age. There's not many people who want to have children at that age. You know what I'm saying? So, and, you know, time went on. Isn't it funny how God leaves some time? He didn't just go home to Sarah and they have relations and then the baby's born. Nope. There's enough time that it, what does it do? It brings up in Abraham doubt. It brings up in him, well, I guess I'm going to have to figure this out myself here. I'm going to have to figure this out. I know what I'll do. I'll get my handmaid, and 
you know, and Sarah was in on that little conspiracy. It was Sarah's idea. But, yeah, thanks, Sarah. Um, at one point, <laughs> thankfully, the man's not the fault this time, right? <laughs> so we got one anyway. Um, but Sarah says, here's what you need to do. Go with her. And she's of the family. That'll be the child that God's talking about. Well, and you know, it's funny. God didn't intervene on that. He didn't intervene on it. So long story short, Sarah does eventually have the baby. She gets jealous of Hagar and her child and tells Abraham, kick her out. So they kick Hagar out. I mean, Hagar's a handmaid. She just had to do whatever she was told. So she's out and they run out of water. She's going to die. Her baby is going to die. And, uh, and what happens? Genesis 16. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She uses another name because in the middle of it, she puts the baby over so she can't hear or see the baby die. And she goes off and just sits and is just waiting to die. Can you imagine that situation? And what happens? God comes right into it and basically uh, gives them water, gets them together, and sends them back in with Sarah and with Abraham, which couldn't have been easy. God doesn't cut corners sometimes, boys. But he said, no, you go back in there. But this is what is written about that experience where God came down and saw Hagar. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? That's what was important to Hagar, that she was seen by somebody. Abraham had re rejected her. Sarah had kicked her out. She was seen as a problem and a nuisance. But God came down and he saw her. And I think that's the same thing he did with this woman who had been suffering for 12 years and had never been seen, had been ignored, scorned, and pushed away. But Jesus wanted to be her to be seen by him. She saw herself one way. Jesus saw her another way. He wanted to see her look at him and hear him say, you are daughter. That's the first thing he said. He said, daughter. That's the first time she belonged to anybody. Her family got rid of her. The synagogue got rid of her. Her community got rid of her. Everyone got rid of her. And all of a sudden, God comes along and says, daughter. And it's the only time it's used in the Bible by Jesus in the New Testament. It's the only time. Jesus restored her personhood. He restored her body. He restored her self-image. She was no longer sinful, broken, and a failure, but now she was a daughter of God. He didn't just, he gave her this whole new standing. And all these people that were following Jesus at that time, knowing who Jesus was, or at least hoping who he was and thinking who he was, I don't know what everybody was thinking, but they certainly were thinking he was somebody special. And for this special person to come along and call her a daughter when everyone knew what her life had been, Oh, my heavens, that threw their whole theology up in the air. And Jesus was doing it all the time. But faith requires confession, and he also had her come forth and say, what happened? What happened here? What happened to you? Tell us what happened to you. 
this wonderful testimony. And she reached out and she touched Jesus and her life was changed. And, you know, we could turn that into a metaphor in so many ways, but the truth of the matter is, is somebody who was suffering pushed through and touched Jesus. And I don't know after 12 years if she had given up. She obviously hadn't. She heard about Jesus and she said, I'm going to believe that there's yet hope for me. And I, I think this morning that God is saying to us, I don't know what the situations we might be in, but God is saying, no, no, don't give up 12 years. That other woman who was bent over for 18 years, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Like Those are tough ones, right? Those are tough ones. But God is the keeper of the clock. He's the one. But in both cases, God showed up. And I do not believe that God does not want to show up in your situation and my situation. So last week, we had an exercise where we sat and we thought, what is it that I think about myself? I believe that God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. How many believe that God speaks to you? Like you can, you can thoughts that come and they're from God. How many believe that? We're, you know, we, we're people who believe that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And many times God will speak to us through things that we're not even expecting. We'll see something, we'll hear something, a piece of scripture, somebody will say something, and you just know that's from God. You just know God's doing something. Well, I believe God is here with us this morning, and I believe he wants to speak. And the exercise that I want to do this morning is I want you to take that pen, and I want you to take that piece of paper, that card. I'm not going to collect these. These are yours. No one's going to be reading these. But uh, you know what you wrote on your card last week. You might have wrote, written very positive things, and I'm so happy and thankful that you're there and that, that God has given you this wonderful place and perception of yourself. Um, but you also may have written something negative. As we know, you know, there are 47 different negative descriptions given. What I want to do this morning is give the Holy Spirit the opportunity as you just bow your head and just think, God, what is your word for me? When you, God, are thinking of me, when you see me, what is your description of me? He may give you one word. He may give you ten words. But whatever that is, we're just going to take a moment and just, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come now. And Lord, we are asking you to give us a word that describes how you see us, Father. What is your description of us?
sometimes this is hard because we're not used to hearing good things. But whatever word comes to your mind, whatever, don't debate it, don't try to understand it, or description of you. And that it's something personal. I know it would be very easy just to recite a scripture, um, but really ask God, what are a word, you know? You may give a scripture, but one, two, three words, whatever. So, you know, if if nothing comes, that's not some kind of weird thing, you know? It's not some kind of weird thing. It's just, you know, sometimes it, sometimes it works that way. And there's just, you know, blocks or you're just not at that place or whatever. But for the most part, I think God speaks through things. I just don't want anyone to think, oh, no, I never got anything. Now I'm doomed. You know, it's not that kind of, this isn't a test or something. This isn't some kind of, confirmation of your loveness by God, how much God loves you. So how many got something? Who's willing to stand up and say what God said about this? Forgiveness? Okay. Forgiven. Okay. So? Little girl. <laughs> Why Am I not surprised? <laughs> 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 
Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow, that's beautiful. See, that's what I mean by personal. Yeah. Somebody else? Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Dependable and a cute little girl. Bill. A what? A son. That's a pretty powerful thing. Amen. He does. Yeah. Daryl. Amen. Thank you. You are Daryl. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Judy. Beautiful. Yeah. What is it? I didn't get the last. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Anyone else? Heather? God loves you. There's a powerful thing to know at her age. There's an awful lot of children going out into the world who don't know that. And they, and especially kids that are coming from homes that they're not being shown that. That's a double whammy. Yeah. Caroline. Yeah. Amen. He's got us. That's good stuff. Yeah. Anyone else? You have integrity. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it interesting the things that God speaks into when we give him an opportunity? Like, I maybe it's not a bad practice to, uh, when we go to prayer, to go and say, God, what do you, what do you, what are you saying to me about me today? What are you, you know? Probably be a good starter uh, to have that conversation of prayer with God. But this is the process of walking with Christ that we take 
those things. Oh, come on up. You want to come up to the mic? Beautiful. You know, there's something about someone that age saying they're beautiful. So powerful. And it's not a beauty that you think of like TV or something like that. It's, it's, there is a beauty that if we can see ourselves as beautiful, irrespective of our actual appearance, what a gift. What a gift. Yeah, yes. And the gift that you have is that you're also beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, God is good. The process of our life is taking the way we see ourselves and moving into the way God sees us. And that is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a process, and uh, but God sees us as his children and sees us with potential, sees us as good, not perfect, but good, and he loves us as we are, not as we should be, because we will never be as we should be. He loves us as we are, and it's the process of believing that if you go to therapy or any kind of uh, therapist or any kind of stuff, and I've been to many over the years, they will all be trying to get you to be that. They call it different, but they will all try to get you from a negative perception of yourself into a positive perception of yourself. And if, you, if we do not have the realization of Christ in our life, that he is one, forgiven us, that we are loved and then we start reading his word and we start seeing what exactly he says about us and thinks about us and wants to do for us and what we are in him. I don't know how that process can happen outside of knowing those things. You have to just go, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful. And you know, those tapes that people get and they just repeat it in their car. I am a strong individual. I will succeed. I will, right? And I suppose that might get you through somewhere, but, but eventually when we have the Spirit of God coming down in the middle of a Sunday service and telling us things for free, I could charge you $150 for the therapy session, <laughs> but it's for free, you are having God come down and not have you guess, but tell you how he feels about you and who you are and who we are. This is an incredible gift. So Father, we thank you uh, for what you have done in our midst today. That Father, first of all, we're here and you are here, that you are here by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, we both felt it, we heard it, and now we have heard it yet again as you have spoken to us as your children. I thank you, Father God, that you are absolutely head over heels, mad crazy in love with us. And that, Lord, for some reason, you sent your son, the one you love the most, to come down and to make the way so that we could be in relationship with you again. So, Father, we thank you for that gift of salvation, the voice and power of your Holy Spirit in us, and the glorious truth of your word. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm going to do, last week, as you know, we had those, those replies. If you would like, I would ask that you come up and just take one of them and pray over it. Keep it, put it on your fridge, whatever. You might have somebody who's very positive, then pray that that continues. If you get someone who's going through a difficult perception of themselves, then pray that they come through that. But I'll just put them up here, and you can just come and, and just take one and just take that home and pray for that, okay? Uh, let's take up an offering. Lord, we give back to you. We give back to you out of faith and out of worship, and it's the right thing to do, and you give us everything, Father God. So we give back to you in thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>